One of her favorite is where she takes her hands and she starts kind of putting them together and she furrows her brow like really deeply and she just goes, ah. right? She does that all the time. She just look at you like this. And it, you, you know, I don't know, like uh, it's unlikely, I would say, uh, but it looks like she is really anxious while she does it. You know, she's just, and so Paige and I have started, uh, you know, kind of using that to communicate our own anxiousness to one another, uh, right? So we'll say, you know, ah, I'm just feeling really, ah, you know, and to be honest, confession, I have felt really ah, this week as I have been parsing through all of these different interpretations of the image of God. I'm telling you, there are so many to pick from. I, I joked with the staff this week that, um, Really, the definition of the image of God is just whatever fits your particular brand of Christianity or just, you know, whatever your fancy, because there are just so many. So with that said, I'm just letting you know, there is some latitude here, some latitude in the way that we interpret it. You know, there's some wiggle room here on, on what could be legitimate, because the Bible is not just abundantly clear and specific. But before we get into the actual, what I believe to be the definition of the image of God, I, I want us to kind of uh, look over a few things that I think we can do better than, that we can go past. I think uh, one way that we can do better than is our usual definition of the image of God, or really our lack thereof. What I mean by that is I think we understand the importance of the image of God very well. Right, so we'll say, you know, that it's wrong to murder because it destroys someone who's made in God's image. And that is absolutely, unequivocally true. But when you say that, you still haven't said what the image of God is, right? You've just said it's important. You know, it's wrong to murder someone because it destroys someone that's made in God's image. Okay, well, what does it mean to be made in God's image, right? So we, we'll make a lot of application to it, but we don't always define it. So I think we can go beyond just saying, just saying, it's important. It is important, but we want to give meaning to why it's so important. So another, another interpretation of the definition for the image of God that I think we can do better than to get past is the idea that we're made in the physical resemblance of God, that we're made to look like physically like this, like God, you know, and so that will lead to uh, you know, pictures of God as an old man with, you know, looks really wise with flowing white hair and a, and a long beard. Um, but I don't think that this is an accurate representation of God from Scripture, right? Um, we know that God does not have a physical body in the same way that we do. And uh, in John 4, 24, God, or excuse me, Jesus tells the woman at the well that God is spirit. And so, um, to, to see the image of God and say, uh, oh, that's referring to the, the physical makeup of our bodies is to be super literal in the same way that like hearing horsepower of a car refers to the fact that there's like dozens of tiny horses in the engine that are like powering the car Flintstone style. Um, ultimately, uh, it, is, it, it would be incorrect, I would say, to say the image of God is our physical bodies. Um, I would also say, um, I'll, I'll, I'm going to lump these two together. It's wrong to say uh, that the image of God is just the way that we're distinct from the animals, including things like intelligence or uh, emotion or reason or intellect. Um, so I think it's wrong to say that the image of God is just the way that we're distinct from the animals because that's still really nonspecific, right? Now, we do know that there's a huge differentiation here when we get to 126. You know, here, let us make God 
or excuse me, let us make man in our own image. And so there's a the distinct cutoff there in verse 26 that's different from the rest of creation. But if it's just, we're just saying it's just distinct from creation, how? You know, what, what specifically? And some people have said, you know, that it's our intellect or our reason or emotions. They, they say that God has those same things, so that must be the image of God. But ultimately, even these things like intellect or emotion, reason, those kind of things, we have to remember that the image of God is given to each of us equally. So someone uh, that is, you know, naturally gifted with great degrees of intelligence must be able to be the image of God just as much as someone who's not, right? Albert Einstein needs to be able to be the image of God just as much as someone in a vegetative state. Or, you know, a sociopath needs to be able to be the image of God just as much as Mother Teresa. Like, intellect, emotions, they are good, and they, we do share that with God, but I don't necessarily think that that is the image of God in us. All right, so we've got past the what it's not portion of the morning, um, but now we have to move towards what is it, right? We still have to come up with a definition of what the image of God is. And so the, the bulk of what I want us to do is kind of parse this out, but I think through Genesis 1 and, uh, you know, parts of Genesis 2, we can see that the image of God is mankind's special status before God through our relationship to him and through God's dominion mandate to us. I'll read that again. The image of God is mankind's special status before God through our relationship to him and his dominion mandate to us. So if you broke that apart, that little definition, basically we're saying two major things about what the image of God is. We're saying first, that the image of God is something we are. It's just true about us. Regardless of what we do after that, the image of God is in us. God has put his image inside of us, and that is just true. It is something we are. But also, uh, as we talk about relationship and dominion and, and all of that, we're talking about the image of God being something we do also. So, first of those things is that the image of God is something we are. Now, if I asked you to, you know, take out a pen, you know, write that, describe yourself, how would you describe yourself? Would you talk about your family? Would you talk about your hobbies? Would you talk about uh, those kind of things? Of course you would. Uh, you know, you, you are sane, and, you know, that is a sane answer to that question. But, you know, if we wanted to dig a little deeper and say, you know, what, is, what does it mean to be human? You know, what are you really? We would uh, maybe arrive at, you know, different ways of phrasing it. But I think we, uh, for all of us who, you know, confess to this, would say that we are creatures made in God's image. We are humans made in God's image. That means that it is fundamental and foundational to our very human identity. I don't think it's a coincidence that the first words that we hear spoken about man in Scripture are this. God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. The truth that we're made in God's image is very deeply connected to who we are, right? And this changes the way that we evaluate ourselves, right? So that what's most true about us is not that we have too much Bama in us. What's most deeply true about us is that we have dignity and worth because God, the creator of all the universe, has imprinted his very image upon us. 
you know, secular reasoning doesn't have a way to support the, the truth that all humans are made with dignity and value. They may say it, and they may deeply, very, really, truly believe it. At, at, their, you know, at their deepest level, someone may say to you, some, like, a, like a secular self-help guru, may say to you, you have dignity and worth as a human. But there's no framework there that tells them that, right? Science is observational. It can come up with all kinds of statements about things, but it can't tell us what makes us worthy. You know, it can't give us um, any sense of human dignity. But God does because he has made us in his own image. And that also means that the image of God is present in every person and that we all possess this truth that we're made with dignity and worth. We all possess this equally. God does not divvy out his image at unequal intervals. We see that uh, scriptures say, let us make man in our image. And we don't think that that means, oh, let us make the first man in our image and then, you know, whatever else comes, you know, we'll just see what may um, no, we, we believe that it means let us make mankind in our image. Later it says um, that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So at the very least, it's begun to expand beyond just the first man. But regardless, my point is that all people have been made in the image of God. And as such, all people have worth and dignity. And as such, all people deserve our respect and appreciation, no matter who they may be. Now, this, this has, like, big-level, you know, systematic kind of implications where there have been, you know, in history, just huge civil rights kind of violations uh, of people, often done by people who did not believe that people were made in the image of God, or at the very least held that, you know, intrinsic to uh, their person, who they were. I mean, you think about some of the theologians uh, who... Uh, um, advocated for the continuation of slavery uh, a lot of times would not hold that the image of God was inerrant to a person, right? Um, in the same way, you know, some of the secular institutions of the 20th century, um, you know, have, again, having no basis for uh, human dignity and worth committed some true atrocities in the name of, uh, in the name of advancing their own agenda, so the image of God being in every person, I mean, it has big level implications, but it also has smaller implications. Implications for the way that we treat people that we know, our friends and our family, um, or even those that we just come in contact with in our daily life. So you might be aware uh, there is an election coming up. Um, if you're not aware, bless you. Um, you need to see me after the service and tell me what you're doing because I would like to not be aware of that as well. Um, but there is an election coming up, and you are going to be um, you are going to be told things in the next few weeks, especially that are meant to make you um, think really bad things about the people that are going to vote differently from you. Uh, you know, these people, part of their attention is to make you think that uh, the, these people that vote differently from you are fundamentally a Republican or fundamentally a Democrat. They're uh, just so fundamentally different from you uh, that there's no way to bridge that gap. But it's not true. Those people are made in the image of God. I gave a, I gave a thought experiment in the first uh, 
first service, I'll do it again. Um, so imagine, imagine someone, um, they are a Marxist, and I don't mean like, a, like someone who believes in big government, I'm talking about a Marxist. Um, they're about my age, um, they talk about specialty coffees all the time. Uh, they make, they'll tell you like the tasting notes of the coffee that they're drinking at any given time. They've got a mustache, only a mustache comes out that they twirl on the ends, right? Okay, so you might, you might uh, if there ever was a person to think fundamentally that's a Democrat, uh, might be them. They're not. They are people made in the image of God, made for admiration and Respect, even though we might differ from them. In the same way, in the same way, uh, we've, you know, we've got to do the both sides-ism here. Um, you know, pretend that there is someone with just a huge jacked-up truck. You see them drive by, and they're just, I mean, they're cutting the ozone layer in half. I mean, you can visibly see it through the smoke coming out the tailpipe. You know, they've got a very full gun rack, uh, three stickers, you know, with Mississippi flag, Confederate flag, and, you know, MAGA down there. They get out of the car, you know, they've got a huge mullet, and they've got their sleeves cut off with scissors, you know. You may think, now that, that's a Republican, fundamentally. As fundamentally as it gets, that is a Republican. But the truth is, again, they are an image bearer. Whatever we see and can tell about other people, the truth is that they have innate dignity, they have innate worth, no matter what we may be inclined to think about them. And as such, we should give every person uh, fair, equal treatment. We should give every person um, our, our respect and love. So the image of God is something we are. It's just true about you. It's just true about me. It's just the fact. But the image of God is something that we do. This truth that we are valuable is fed into by a couple of streams. First is that God has designated us for relationship with him. And second is that God has designated us to work and to cultivate his world. So God has designated us for relationship with him. You see a special kinship and relationship that God has to mankind that he has with no other part of his creation in Genesis 1 as he describes making man in his own image, you know, it is repeated here, uses parallelism, and I mean, it just goes into detail about man's role. Um, he speaks directly and clearly to mankind, to, to man and woman. Um, he hears Adam's personal cries of loneliness. We'll see later in Genesis that he walks in the garden, that he's there present with man and woman. Ultimately, we are seeing that, uh, that God has a special and intimate relationship with mankind. And God has designated us as his image bearers to hold a special relationship with him that is present in no other part of creation. We live all of our life before the face of God. We were meant to be present with him. We were meant to be intimate with him. Now, you may care no more about God than a mosquito, but nonetheless, you were made in God's image, and as such, you were made for relationship and communion with him. So the ways that we do that, of course, like as we hold intimacy with God in our most intimate moments of prayer, we are being what God created us to be. We are living out the image of God. In those times that we reject God, deny him, and, and go after other things, go after idols, we are denying 
and abdicating our responsibility of being made in God's image. So God's designated us for a relationship with him. But God has also given us a mandate. He's also told us to do something as his image bearers. It, to, to kind of uh, get into the text as much as we're going to today, um, when we come to this truth that God made man in his image after his likeness, in verse 26 it says, let, let, us make God, or excuse me, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And the next thing it says, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, etc. And again, 27, 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish and birds, and so on and so forth. And there is also a good reason to believe that when, you know, we, we see this language of being made in the image of God, that it's calling to mind a statue that would be put up in like a foreign land to remind those people who their king was. I believe uh, that this truth that God has given us a mandate to have dominion, I think this is one of the key parts to understanding what the image of God is and how we're supposed to do it as much as one does uh, the image of God. So God has given us a mandate to have dominion, and I think we can see that and, you know, three or so ways um, in Genesis 1 and 2. So, first of those, dominion means enjoying God's creation. Dominion means cultivating God's creation. And dominion means reflecting God's character. Dominion means enjoying God's creation. Dominion means cultivating God's creation. Dominion means reflecting God's character. The first of those, that dominion means enjoying God's creation. We can see... Verses 29 through 30, I won't read, but basically it says that God gave everything on the earth, all plants and all animals, he gave them to mankind to be enjoyed. Furthermore, um, when we look at uh, 2.9, it says, And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that's pleasant to the sight and good for food. So God meant for this garden, this place where he put Adam and Eve to have dominion, he meant for it to be enjoyable. All the same, he means for us to enjoy his creation. It's part of our intention. It's part of our design. It's part of what it means to be made in the image of God, to enjoy God's creation. So that means when you leave here and you go have lunch, and, uh, and, you know, eat good food. Enjoy that. You were meant to. You go and have a stroll through this nice weather this afternoon. Enjoy it. You were meant to. Um, even if you're going to sit on the couch and watch baseball or football, enjoy it. You were meant to. It, you were meant to enjoy God's creation. So dominion means enjoying God's creation, but dominion also means cultivating and caring for God's creation. The most clear way that's put is in Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So straightforward. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. We were intended, as uh, image bearers having dominion, we were intended to work 
and to cultivate God's earth. Of course, there's a lot of ways uh, that we do that. I think most of us do that in our relationships with our friends and our family as we steward those relationships. Uh, we use them to build one another up, right? Um, that's one way that we cultivate God's earth. But uh, one of the most common ways that we do that is just through our vocation, right? Through our job. Um, I was joking with the Webbers earlier uh, that, like, our healthcare professionals that we have here at Trace, we're like uh, a cardiologist short of having a whole set, right? We, we've got people in uh, finance. We have people in food service. We have, we have teachers. We have stay-at-home moms here, you know? Uh, I think every single one of you is a real estate agent, right? We've got so many different jobs and, and vocations here, but... No matter what you are doing, no matter what the Lord has called you to do, no matter where he's put you, he's put you there to work the earth and keep it, to cultivate the earth, to be what he meant for it to be. Part of being made in God's image means bringing God's will to bear on your workplace. I think often we typically just think of work as like a vector for evangelism, like it's just a place for us to go and to, to evangelize other people and make a paycheck so we don't die. Um, but the truth is that as you work and you work well, you are bearing out the image of God in you. You are cultivating God's world just as he intended for you to do. So dominion means enjoying God's creation and cultivating God's creation, but it also means reflecting his character. Verses 16 and 17 of chapter 2. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So God tells us to eat and enjoy, to care and create, but he also calls us to do it in his way. Right? So he calls us to bear out his character in the world. We are his image. We are his representation. His very image is inside of us. We should, as we work, as we enjoy, we should bear out God's character, his moral character. He has not just told us to do, you know, the enjoying and the, um, and the cultivating however we want to. He has given us parameters. He's given us ways to do it. So we are called to be God's image in reflecting his moral character ultimately through moral perfection. Just as God is perfect, he has called us to be perfect. And as you know, we have all fallen far short of that, which makes a good uh, transition to the next thing uh, to talk about. That we've defined, I think, sufficiently at this point, what is the image of God? It's something we are, something we do. But question arises, if you're familiar with Genesis, what happens to God's image after the fall, right? Um, I don't think I'd be surprising you to tell you that there is a turn of events in chapter 3. Um, things do go a different way, right? So we see everything so sublime right now. We see God's creation attention is just coming to bear. Chapter 3, mankind chooses sin. So the question inevitably arises, what What's the effects of that? Well, here is my best attempt at the answer. Some people have said that the image of God is lost at the fall, and I don't believe that at all. Genesis 9, 6 uh, talks about men still being made in God's image. But 
even though um, some parts of that truth that we're made in God's image stand, some of it has been marred by the fall. It doesn't change our identity. We still are made in the image of God, just like your child. You know, they could, they could turn out all kinds of ways, but no matter what, they are your child or your children. You know, they could uh, be someone that uh, works at the DMV and is a, you know, TikTok influencer that, uh, you know, is uh, just in the, like, 90th percentile of general human unpleasantness, but they are still your child, no matter what. Um, and in the same way, we are God's image, no matter what. But the expression of that is marred and darkened and damaged by the fall. The ways that we live out God's image uh, remain truly broken. Generation to generation comes through, and we continue to sin, and we continue to fall short of God's intentions for us in creation. The good news, however, the good news, however, is that there is a redemption and a restoration of God's image. Um, so, see that? Uh, why don't you turn with me to 2 Corinthians 3.18, the same passage that Josh read earlier as our assurance of pardon. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 3.18, as we see this redemption of God's image. Let me just read that for us. 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. We are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Now, this does bear some explaining, right? Um, in context, Paul is referring to the fact that Moses was able to gaze upon the glory of the Lord, but he was only able to do it with a veiled face, right? Only something to, to kind of mute the power of that, that glory a bit. We, however, are able to stare with unveiled face into the glory of God for a very specific reason. It's that God took on our likeness. God became flesh. God took on the image of God, right? He became man. And specifically, in Jesus, lived out our creation intentions. He lived out what we were meant to be, where we have idolized other things, where we have just gone from distraction to distraction. We've frequently ignored God except for, you know, some special parts of our week. Christ remained in intimate and perfect communion with his Father, just as he was intended to be. And whereas we have exploited God's creation for our own benefit, as we have, um, instead of working out God's character in our workplace, in our homes, we've chosen to do the opposite and choose sin. Christ never did. He lived out God's creation mandate perfectly, the only one ever to bear out God's image perfectly as God intended it from birth until death. And we, as we behold this glory, as we look into this image, as we look into Christ through faith, we are transformed degree by degree from one, from one degree of glory to another. This image of God that we have, this truth, this one degree of glory, we're being transformed into the image of God that we were always meant to be as we are transformed into the image of Christ. As we gaze upon him in faith, 
He transforms and renews what was broken and what was marred by the fall. So, um, my charge to you is pretty simple. Uh, It is to gaze into this image of Christ. Make it your intention to look intently at who Christ is and what he's done through faith. In the same way, respond in intimacy with God. Be more like Christ. Chase after that Christ-likeness. Be in intimacy with God. Cultivate what uh, God has called us to do in your workplace, in your home, wherever you may be. Cultivate the truth that God has renewed you and made you more to be in the image of his beloved son. I pray that would be part of our church. I pray that that would be our drive and our aim. Let's pray.